Good Sunday morning to you again. I am delighted that you are in the range of being able to hear God's Word this morning. I am thankful that those of the family of Crossroads who are listening, that this will give us some comfort, even though we're unable to be together where we can see each other, we can hear God's Word together. And I pray that God would bless you as you do that. For those who may be at our website, our podcast this morning, listening, I'm thankful that you're there. And I pray God will speak to you and bless you as His Word is proclaimed. I have titled this morning's message, When Life is Not Like I Planned. And that's true of us today. We had planned to be in God's house in church here on April the 5th, but it hasn't happened. There are individuals and families listening to me this morning who can say, life is certainly not like I planned. I had no idea it would be this way. I didn't plan on losing my marriage after all these years. I didn't plan on my finances being so economically dismal at this time in my life. I didn't plan on the report from the doctor. I had not planned on the death of. I never dreamed of this happening to me or my family. All of us can identify with that, can't we? Another family, if they could stand before you this morning, would also have questions about things not ending as they planned. Their names are Veronica and Jim Bowers. They serve as missionaries in Peru, about 600 miles northeast of Lima. Ronnie, as she is called by her friends, is 35 years old. At the age of 12, she came to receive Christ as, by faith as her Savior, her Lord, And at the age of 13, she began to talk about giving her life in service as a missionary. Her dream came true. But Ronnie's major disappointment in life was that she could not have children of her own. But God, in His kindness and mercy in 1994, allowed Ronnie and Jim to adopt a little boy. They named Corey. Then in 2000, God doubled their blessing by allowing them to adopt a second child, a little girl. They named her Charity. Just after Easter 2001, they flew to the border near Brazil to obtain the proper or paperwork to get Charity a permanent visa. With mission accomplished, they headed back to the village where they served as missionaries in their small Cessna plane. About 40 minutes out from landing, the Peruvian military mistakenly decided that this small plane was carrying illegal drugs. Without any radio communication from the Peruvian Air Force, the fighter jet opened fire on this little plane. More than 50 rounds penetrated the plane. The plane crashed into the Amazon River, As the plane was sinking into the murky water, Jim had enough presence of mind to pull his wife Ronnie and the little girl Charity from the sinking plane. But it did not take him long to realize that neither one of them was alive. A single bullet had torn through Ronnie's back, through her heart, and the same bullet had lodged into Charity's skull. They both were killed instantly, a seven-month-old baby and a 35-year-old mother. 
who had sacrificed much to go to a difficult part of the world to serve God. Now, if you linger very long at a story like this, it forces you to ask some questions, some hard questions, some uncomfortable questions. Why, God? Where is the fairness and justice in this tragedy? Is this the reward for dedicating your life to the Lord? God, where are you in all of this? How do you make sense of things ending this way? Not the way that you plan for them to. I want us to deal with some most fundamental and tough questions this morning that we face as human beings. Some years ago, a magazine had this feature article and it was entitled, When God Hides His Face. And then the subtitle asked the question, Can faith survive when hope has died? That's a good question. Have you ever asked that question? Maybe you're asking that question right now. Maybe like the psalmist in Psalms 44, you would like to ask God some questions. Well, I hope you have your Bible. Hope you've turned it to Psalms 44, verse 23 and 24, and that you will follow along as I read aloud these passages of Scripture. This is the psalmist speaking. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? God, have you forgotten our pain and our problems? Have you ever asked God questions like that? Maybe you're checking out Christianity while you're listening this morning. And I'm glad you're listening. Let me tell you something about us Christians. We as Christians have many things we don't understand. We don't always know what God is up to. We suffer and have problems as well. Being a follower of Christ doesn't insulate you from problems. But the great news is, if you're just checking out, you'll find a great opportunity to see Christians in action. The greatest evidence of our faith is watching how some Christians walk through unbelievable situations and come out not resentful, not bitter, not withdrawn, but with a great peace, a new level of maturity with their faith. I hope that happens for you. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, Paul tells us in Colossians that Christ rescued us from the domain of darkness, providing us with redemption and forgiveness of sins. And Father, I want to pray and to pause and to praise You, the Lord, for such a Savior. 1 John 2.12 tells us that the sins of those He has written were forgiven. He had written their name and their sins were forgiven. And Father, I am thankful for the many names who have been written, been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you not only save us, but you continue to save us. And that you today will be honored, be exalted, 
as we look at your word and as we, the members of this fellowship, would realize at this time of worship that in the events that are happening all around us and happening so rapidly that we can hardly keep up with them, almost daily it seems, oh Father, you know all this. You know the emotions and the feelings that we have. And that, Father, you still care for us and cause us to trust you even though we do not know exactly what you're doing. May we rely on your faithfulness in these times. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In 1956, Steve Saint had the horrible experience as a young boy of watching his father, Nate Saint, being murdered by the Alcala Indians in Ecuador. He has had a long time to try to understand the question, why? Listen to his answer. In life, many of us Christians have tried to believe that the life of a believer is all joy and no pain. That isn't so. And we've tried to believe that those who don't know Christ, that their life is all pain and no joy. That isn't so as well. But do you know what the difference is? For those who don't know the Lord as we do, the pain is fundamental and the joy is superficial because it won't last. But for the believer, the pain is superficial and the joy is fundamental because it's eternal. Now I'm not going to airbrush airbrush our faith this morning. I want us to see Christianity in the trenches. Life is not always clean or rational or pleasant like I planned. Many biographies do not end in the words, and they lived happily ever after. I rejoice for those who get the big answers from God when He comes through at that last moment for them. But when you hear those, there is that sinking question, but what about me? What's wrong with me? How do you cope in all that? What does God say to us when life doesn't work out? There are two things that I want you to see this morning. And I want us to have an accurate portrait of Jesus Christ, who He is and how He works, and then to offer some practical help to all of us when our faith is challenged by life's difficulties as it is today. I'm convinced that if God stood before us this morning... If you could see him, if you could hear his voice, if I could do the same, he would say two things at least. Number one, there on your outline, you write this in. He would say, let me be God. Let me be God. We must begin by having an accurate understanding of God and his character. How many of you are familiar with those photos called glamour shots? Maybe you've walked into somebody's house and you've looked at one of those family members and you thought, who in the world is that? They don't even look like they belong in this family. And you've got that setting that's so prominent in a place where everybody can see it and you say, wow, who is that? Now you say it to yourself because I've walked into homes that have those. You dare not say it out loud. The people who produce those glamour uh, spots and shots are miracle workers, in my opinion. It's more than just a touch-up. It's a total remodeling on some of the people I've seen. Well, I give you that to tell you some of us carry around a glamour shot image of God. We've airbrushed it. We've remodeled it down through the years. It barely resembles the real God. 
It really is a God of my own making. All of us are carrying around in our minds an image of what we think God is like. It's extremely important for us to allow God to speak for Himself. Our image is shaped by popular opinion. It's shaped by the media, by culture, by our parents. It's sometimes even shaped by our denomination and by the disappointments in life. Let God speak for Himself. I want to remind you of three statements that God says about Himself in His Word, the Bible. The first bullet there, fill in these blanks. God is in control and decides what He allows into my life. God's in control and decides what He allows into my life. The Bible tells this and calls this the sovereignty of God. It's healthy to be reminded that He alone is God. He does what He pleases and He does it right well. The Bible is absolutely clear that God's in control over the affairs of the world. He's in control over the details of your life and mine. No matter what the situation is that you're facing or that I'm facing, based on the authority of God's Word, God's not surprised. He's not in heaven wondering or wringing His hands how all this is going to work out. Proverbs 19 verse 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We may make a lot of plans, but the Lord will do what He decides when He wants to. Daniel 4 verse 35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? No one can stop Him or challenge Him by saying, What do you mean, God? If my image of God is a counterfeit of the God of the Bible, then I'm worshiping an idol, another Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11.4 talks about that. And I remain the center of my life, my loyalties, and I think that I'm in control. God says He's in control. The Bible leaves no doubt that He is all-powerful. Sometimes in our personal journey in pain, we decide to give God a makeover. We can't reconcile at all a powerful God with the intense pain or disappointment that we're going through or enduring. If God can do something, why doesn't He? Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a bestseller some years ago entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It was written after watching his son die of a horrible disease. Kushner concluded that even God has a hard time keeping chaos in check. He concluded in his book that God is a God of justice, but not a God of power. Millions read that book and took some comfort in it. A God who is kind and passionate, but weak and powerless. Well, I want to tell you, I don't take much comfort in a God like that. And listen, that's not the God of this Bible. The very essence of God is that He has absolute and total power and control. And He's sovereign. And God gets to decide what happens concerning us and when it'll happen. How many times have you praised God for sparing your lives, maybe after a close automobile scare, or bragged on His awesome power? But friend, if He had not spared your life, or if death had come and would have taken it, 
he would no less been God. We ask about how big is God. I used to ask my sons when they were little boys, how big is God? Well, I'm going to tell you, he's an awesome God. Bigger than you and I can ever imagine. Even when I don't understand why he has allowed this into my life, he's still God. There's another statement God says about himself. Write this one down. It's the second that has a bullet by it. Pain and difficulty are a reality, but not always the result of sin or lack of faith. Let me give that to you again. Pain and difficulty are a reality, but not always the result of sin or lack of faith. The, rea- the reality is that our that for purposes we don't understand and never will understand, God allows pain and difficulty and experiences like that into our lives. James 1, 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And then he says in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Can you really say that? That you know it and you believe it? Can you say that when you face trials? Not if... But he said, you will face them. The reality is that you and I don't get a vote. Pain and difficulty simply happens. We cannot choose whether or not we will suffer. We don't get to choose how long we will suffer. We don't get to uh, have any choice in how we're going to suffer. The only choice that we have is that we can choose that we will respond to it as Christ intends in our life. God is producing endurance. When you read through the history of the Bible, you will see a trail of suffering. Somehow our generation of Christians have come to believe that if you're hurting or suffering, it's a sign you're doing something wrong because surely you could not be doing that and following Christ. For we must not, for we do not have that kind of faith, it seems like. So we're suffering because we don't have enough. Nothing could be further from the truth. Many of the heroes of the Bible were godly men and women who were never delivered from their struggles. Now understand, I'm not minimizing the pain and the suffering that comes because of sin, because of disobedience to God's Word. But I'm also wanting you to understand that pain and difficulty are a reality and is not always the result of sin or lack of faith in our life. Hebrews 11, you know that chapter. Verses 35 and 36, women received their dead by resurrection. They knew they were not going to get them back on this earth. They knew it would be through the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Hebrews 11, 35 through 39 tells us these were Godly men and women, wonderful people for the Lord, who were never delivered. They didn't live the good life. They didn't live a life free of pain and difficulty like most of us. They are honored in spite of the fact that they were never delivered in this world. Jesus answered this truth about himself. When his disciples came to him about a man who had been blind since birth. You remember the story. They asked him, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? In John 9 verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works, now listen to this, but that the works of God might 
be displayed in him. This man was blind all these years so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Is that your picture of God? Often pain is not about God's punishment, but it's about God's desire to demonstrate his power. Are you willing to let him demonstrate his power through your life in your pain? It's not a rebuke. It's a refinement. God says, let me be God. God said, let me be God. God's in control and decides what he allows to happen in life. And then pain and difficulty are a reality, but not always a result of sin or lack of faith. There's a third truth that God tells us, and I want you to get this. Write this by that bullet. God is not obligated to explain Himself to us. I ought to say that again. God's not obligated to explain Himself to us. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Maybe right now, and maybe for years, you've been begging God to explain why. Why is this happening to me? Why do I feel this way? Why is there so much problem? If you only had an explanation from God, you think you'd feel better. I think of Job, the most righteous man on the face of the earth, blameless, upright, feared God and was and shunned evil, the Bible tells us. Satan told God, the only reason Job serves you is that you have given him a good life. He has a good life. If all that was taken away from him, he would curse you in a minute, God. So you remember, God allows Satan to strip him of everything but his life. And you remember the story. There was a lot of pain, much loss that I can't even imagine. And when Job's wife tells Job to just go ahead and curse God and die, you remember what Job answers? He said, should we accept only good from God and not trouble? Do you understand this passage? God sends trouble. So for the next 35 chapters of Job, Job and especially his friends, if you can call them that, searched for an explanation for all of Job's pain and suffering. There are a lot of emotions laid bare in this book of Job. But chapter after chapter goes by and there's no response from heaven. They keep wanting God to say something. God's silent. And then finally in chapter 38, God breaks his silence. You know what he says? He doesn't explain himself one bit. Rather than explain himself, he reveals himself. He never answers one of Job's questions. But in those last four chapters, maybe you'll have time to read them this week, those last four chapters, God reveals his power, his majesty, and his sovereignty. God answers to Job, Job, I'm God. You just keep remembering that. Friend, we don't live by explanations. We live by promises. As hard as it is, you and I will go to our grave with unanswered questions. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. God wants to say to us, when life doesn't work out as we planned. Let me be God. The second thing that I want you to see, write this in, is trust me. 
Trust me. We talk about those Old Testament heroes a while ago there in Hebrews 11. But listen to verse 13 of that chapter. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged, acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Our problem is we're so akin to this earth, we don't realize we're strangers here. This is not our home. We're trying to make it our home. These people died still believing, still trusting. They went through tough, agonizing, and fatal trials. The reality is that many times God's purpose is accomplished not by delivering us out of our difficulties, but by demonstrating Himself in the midst of our problems. Sometimes the gap between my pain and the ability to trust God seems so wide, I'm not sure I can cross it. Trust is not a once-for-all step, but a moment-by-moment struggle. Let me tell you about the trials of their faith. The test of faith there by that next one. Listen to Psalms 105, verse 19. To develop character and competence, God will withhold His hand to prove our dependence on Him. Did you ever think about that? Psalms 105, listen to verse 19. Until what He had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested Him. Until it came to pass, the word of the Lord kept testing Him. You know who the hymn was? It was Joseph. Who had any more testing than that young man, Joseph? And all the time, God didn't tell him anything in all of that. There's another bullet there that I want you to see on your life. The crisis of faith. That's what this test of faith is all about. The crisis of faith. In Joshua 5 and 6, if you only have one of three different types of tests in your life, you may not realize that, but that's right. Joshua, as he stood at Jericho, is a great example of this. Will you do even the unconventional foolishness to man, what God tells you to do? Joshua did. First, there is the offense of faith. Write that in, the offense of faith. Then Matthew 11. This trial is to lead us to choose loyalty to God over life itself. John the Baptist did that. There's only usually one of those in your life. I've never faced that. You never have either. That's the crisis of faith. Then there is the offense of faith too that we have just gone through. That's the trial that leads you to choose loyalty to God over life itself. And then there is the trust that I want you to see. Four things I'm learning Trust is a choice I make. I've been told that the Chinese word for crisis has at its root the meaning opportunity. Every crisis is an opportunity for me to deepen my relationship with Christ. God is very interested in seeing my response to difficulty. Look at this gem embedded in Job 13 verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
In the middle of all Job's pain, you see his faith surge. It has a choice. It was a choice Job made. The common denominator found among these heroes of the faith is that they chose to trust when all of life was screaming, Don't! Habakkuk had a problem. You remember him? We talked about him the other day. With his world, injustice, destruction, violence. He cries out to God. He cries out at God. And what's going on? Why aren't you doing something? But you remember at the end of that little old short book, he says, though everything fail, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. His circumstances hadn't changed one bit. His perspective is what's changed when he chose to trust God. Our standard of living is going to change in this nation. It really is. It's already doing it right now. But I want to tell you, our standard of life doesn't have to change. We have a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a number B there on your outline. I must keep one eye on heaven. This is how you go through this. I must keep one eye on heaven. Second Corinthians 4 verse 17 and 18 says, For this light momentary affliction, that already makes us mad, doesn't it? Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond the, the, all comparison. And then verse 18 of that book says, And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Oh, that's our problem. We've gotten too cozy. In generations past, one of the favorite topics of Christian songs was heaven. Because that generation was a difficult time. The Christian life was hard. Those believers looked forward to heaven. And now we don't do that anymore. We're comfortable where we are. We're convenient and compromised. And we've gotten cozy in this world. No wonder we don't sing or hear songs about heaven much anymore. This generation don't care anything about going there. We've got all we need right here. Sometimes... Only when, fa- when pain, when crisis rocks our world as now, do I get the, my perspective corrected. This world's not my home, nor is it yours. And child of God, when life gets unbearable, remember, you're not home yet. Mm-hmm. Trust is a choice I make. I must keep an eye on heaven. The C part on your outline, write this in. The more I get to know my Father, the more I trust Him. The more I get to know my Father, the more I trust Him. Parents, do you ever play that game with your children? When they were small, you'd set them up on the porch outside or maybe on a cabinet countertop and you'd back off a little ways and you'd encourage them to jump off into your arms. Well, they might have been a little afraid at first, but then after a while they loved this game. And if you'd backed up 40 feet, they'd still jump thinking you'd catch them. They trusted you. They started getting daring with every jump because they knew you. The more you get to know the Heavenly Father, the more you'll trust Him. Psalms 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and and saves the crushed in spirit. As I have observed people go through difficulty, pain, and disappointment, 
I have been blessed so many times as I saw their strength, their faith increase because they were getting to know God better. Daddy, a little boy said, who had just lost his mother, his father who was a pastor, and his son went home after the funeral that evening. And the little boy wanted to sleep with his daddy. And his daddy understood that, and so his daddy let him sleep with him. But he was having trouble going to sleep. The daddy would roll over on his side and try to go to sleep, but the little boy couldn't. And he asked his, his daddy asked him, said, why can't you go to sleep? And he said, Daddy, if you'll turn your face towards me, I can sleep. Think about that. If you see his face, you don't have to have answers. You don't even have to know all this. You don't even have to know God's purpose. You just need to know right now God's presence. The D part, write this in. I can let God use my pain to demonstrate His power. Would you be willing to let Him do that right to now? Would you be able to let Him do that in the crisis that we face right now? What if I come down with COVID-19? I'm at the age, I'm the old people. We're not supposed to live through it. Am I willing to let God demonstrate His power even in my pain and even, in I, even when I see what is coming down the road? The brilliance of God's glory is and the magnificence of His power is seen in the clearest and brightest against the dark backdrop of human suffering. The cross is the greatest example of this. Out of that immense, beyond describing suffering comes the privilege for us as His children to have eternal life. God is determined to do some of His most significant work through pain and suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me propose an idea. Could it be that what our world really needs is not more miracles, our deliverance from the difficulties of life. But for the average man and woman to find God's strength, His joy and peace and ability to trust God in the midst of our suffering. Is that what God might be trying to tell us today? I want to read and leave this with you one last entry in Ronnie Bauer's journey, journal. She kept a journal and listened to the last, one of the last entries. Life doesn't always give you a storybook ending. 
You don't always end up with the answer to your prayers as you desired. God often chooses to do something different with your life than you envisioned. But it's okay. He's still God and He still loves you. He is the only one who remains constant and life is good if you stay in His arms, God's loving arms. You may not understand where He leads you, but you will be safe and secure with Him anywhere, even in death. And that was written just before her death. Well, let me give you life application and I will close. I want you to know, will you let God be God today? I don't know what you're facing in your family or in your life personally. I know that what a lot of us are facing collectively right now are more like inconveniences than anything else. But would you let Him be God in whatever you're facing today? Will you trust Him? That's my second question. Will you trust Him? It's one thing to acknowledge Him. It's another thing to trust Him. For those that might be listening who have never trusted Him with their life, with their life present and their life future and their life past, they've never trusted Him. Would you this morning, right there where you are, in front of your computer, would you be willing to say, Lord, I recognize I haven't trusted you. I've been trying to live life my way. And so right now I ask you to forgive me. And by faith, and I don't understand all how all this happens, God, by faith, I am simply asking you to take my life. I just give it to you. I'm going to trust you from this point on. I'm going to trust you. And that trust is obedience to you. And so, Father, right now, In just simple words, I pray, God, forgive me. And I ask you to help me by faith to trust you. And I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Would you do that? And if you've done that, would you let me know? I've got a phone number on top of a, on the front page of a bulletin. You might not have that, but if you contact some member of Crossroads Fellowship, they'll give you my number. And I'd love to hear that from you. I'd love to. Let me talk about our plans for a week from today. Easter Sunday morning. We're just trusting God to make the weather where we can do it. You need to bring your lawn chair or a blanket, or whatever you want to get set down on. We'll spread everybody apart so that nobody will be any closer than six feet. But we're going to worship at 10 a.m. like we normally do. So it'll not be on a podcast. It'll be live. I'll get to see you. I won't come up and pat you on the back or touch you, but I'll get to see you. I've missed seeing your face, my friends. And so we're going to do that this coming Sunday at 10 a.m. And you be here. The piece of land that we're talking about sets directly behind up in the field uh, to the church that we meet in. Let me encourage you, invite somebody to come with you. 
they can feel safe that they're not going to be uh, uh, close to somebody that they might catch something from. Maybe you have friends that haven't been able to go to church for a while. You invite them to do so if you would. And then let me say that if you don't feel safe or if you're not feeling well, you don't come. We don't want you to come. We don't want you to get sick and we don't want what you have to be passed to others. So you feel free to not come and we would appreciate that as well. Let me say again, I am thankful and I've been blessed by your faithful giving as you continue to support God's work even though we can't come together. I'm going to close us with prayer. Thank you for being with us this morning. Father, we pray for the world leaders, including our president, our federal, and our state officials. Father, I ask that you give them wisdom in this time. It seems that we've done almost everything we can do to be safe, and yet we continue to see this pandemic spread. And so, Father, We trust you. We need wisdom to do what hasn't been done yet, but also wisdom from you to trust you. Father, I pray for medical research that's going on around the world so that someone who's working may find some help, at least in the disease, until later a vaccine can be produced that will protect us from the disease. Give us and those people who are researching wisdom in that as well. And then, Father, help us. Help our world. Help those in this nation to realize that only You can give peace. You are the Prince of Peace. And I pray In the middle of this storm, there will be great numbers of people come to know you and receive you as their Lord and Savior. Oh, Father, that would make it worth it all. And I pray that today. May that be the prayer of your people across this land. And Father, I pray protection for our church family and church families across this nation. And I pray this in Christ's name, believing that you hear and answer prayer.